What are the expectations for Dan Lanning's second year with the Oregon Ducks? Last year was a success by any metric. Oregon went 10-3, and they finished 15th in the final AP poll. They won in a very entertaining Holiday Bowl against North Carolina, who was the runner-up ACC champions, losing to Clemson in the ACC championship game. And all three of their losses were to teams that finished ranked inside of the top 20 of the polls. Two of those losses, if you want to further subdivide Oregon's losses, were to Washington and Georgia, who finished ranked in the top 10. Georgia obviously finished as the national champions, ranked number one, with a 15-0 record. And the season started out with confusion, with disarray, and with a team that was nowhere near prepared to take on Georgia. Dan Lanning's former team, where he was the defensive coordinator there for several years, and led Georgia's legendary offense to help win Kirby Smart his first national championship to conclude the 2021 season. Oregon was not prepared for that game. 49-3 was the final score of that game. It was Bo Nick's worst game. It was Oregon's worst game of the whole year. But Oregon grew. They grew. They beat Eastern Washington 70-14. to They crushed BYU 41-20 at home. The score was not that close. They had to come back against Washington State on the road. Beat top 10 UCLA by 15. The score of that game wasn't close either. And they were dominating. Ever since that Georgia game, where they were held to three offensive points, Oregon scored 40 points or more in their next eight games after that Georgia matchup. They were entering the Washington game. They were entering the game against the Washington Huskies, an arrival of Oregon, 8-1, and one, occupying the sixth spot of the college football playoff rankings. And had they not lost to Washington, and had they not lost to Oregon State, in which Oregon blew a double-digit lead, Oregon might have occupied that fourth spot in the college football playoff, or at least have gotten into a New Year's Six Bowl, depending on the different outcomes. There was a lot that was left to be desired from Oregon, despite the fact that, by any means, they had a successful season. But a loss to Washington that was a result of a questionable play call and a poorly executed fourth down in their own territory, and blowing a double-digit lead to a team that obviously is inferior by recruiting talent, but they're very well coached in Jonathan Smith's Oregon State, leads me to think that this team, again, things could have went differently. For the worse, yes, but more likely than not for the better. So now, with Bo Nix returning, Troy Franklin, Bucky Irving, Noah Whittington, Oregon's brought in a lot of transfers, especially defensively, such as Jordan Birch, highly rated prospect out of high school, and was one of the team leader in sacks for South Carolina last season, Mateo Uyunglele, brother of DJ Uyunglele, who's playing at Oregon State as their starting quarterback. He's going to be at defensive end as well for Oregon, another highly recruited player out of high school. He's coming in as a freshman, though, not as a transfer. Justin Jacobs from Iowa's transferring in. Kyrie Jackson, Taishim Johnson, Evan Williams at secondary transferring in. And then at the offensive line, Junior Angelou, and a Johnny Cornelius offensive lineman who are transferring in, highly rated according to 24-7 Sports. 
And the amount of incoming transfers, plus the returning production numbers, which, while not extremely favorable when you return your quarterback, when you return running back, a good tight end in Terrace Ferguson, a great interior lineman in Jackson Powers Johnson, who was rated as one of the highest offensive linemen according to Pro Football Focus, and Troy Franklin's one of the fastest wide receivers in the nation. And defensively, Dan Lanning has tried to address issues with the defense last year via the portal. The Ducks were 75th in points allowed per game last season in the country. And the offense is what Oregon's known for. It's what they've been known for historically. Under Mario Cristobal with Justin Herbert, they were still known for their offense, along with offensive coordinator Joe Moore, Moorhead. Sorry, not Joe Moore, but Joe Moorhead, after Justin Herbert left for the NFL. And now last year, when you're 10th in points per game and 75th in points allowed per game, the identity of this team is obviously with the offense. So tell me down below what you think the expectations should be for Oregon in Dan Lanning's second year. What should they be? Should Oregon be expected to win the Pac-12? Should they be expected to compete for a college football playoff spot or even make the college football playoffs? Do you think that Bo Nix, it should be expected of him to once again take a, a big leap forward, potentially be a Heisman candidate at quarterback this season? Answer that question down in the comments below. Oregon, of course, using the transfer portal to their advantage has been something that's very admirable. Overall, they also return key starters. Bo Nix was top 10 in QBR, and Bucky Irving was one of the most explosive running backs in the country. Oregon right now has a top 10 transfer portal class for the 2023 cycle. They're ninth in the country. They have seven four-stars coming in through the portal and seven three stars, a total of 15 commits, and they have an average rank per recruit in the portal of an 89.43. So a lot of bodies coming in for Oregon from all different schools, whether power five starters, group of five starters, lower level players, or backups, Oregon is bringing in bodies to help increase their depth. And you see that especially on defense, where they're trying to improve, and you also see that on the offensive line, where Oregon lost a plethora of starters last season. So that's kind of previewing the depth chart there to a certain degree. We'll talk about that a little more, but now what I want to do is go into the schedule for Oregon. What does Oregon's schedule look like? Because the schedule for Oregon last year was an underrated one at that. Oregon, according to sportsreference.com, had the 37th toughest schedule nationally. ESPN and other websites might have it a little lower or a little higher, but overall it's going to be around that metric. And by the simple ranking system, Oregon was the 13th best team in the country. This is a really good team. They're also recruiting at a high level. They're currently recruiting at a good level in 2024. They almost landed Dante Moore in the 2023 recruiting cycle, of course. But in 2024, right now, they have the 8th best recruiting class. So that's more so long-term, but top 10's really good. They had the ninth best recruiting class in the 2023 cycle, with their highest-ranked recruit being Mateo Uyunglele, who's currently enrolled. Correction, their highest recruit was actually Jurion Dickey, a wide receiver from... Um, Menlo Park, 
California, 6'3", 210 pounds. So Uyunglele was formerly a five-star, but Oregon had a lot of blue-chip prospects coming in their recruiting class, both through high school, also through the portal, and I think that they're going to reload more likely than not on the offensive line, which will be very helpful. It's going to be hard to do, but I think they can and will do it. Oregon opens up 2023 with a home game against Portland State, September 2nd. There's an intriguing road game at Texas Tech, September 9th. Texas Tech is viewed as a dark horse for the Big 12. They have solid quarterback play. Joey McGuire is doing a really good job in Lubbock, recruiting especially. I think Texas Tech has a better long-term than short-term outlook with Texas and Oklahoma leaving for the SEC. And Joey McGuire is competing with Texas and Oklahoma and with these higher-rated schools, these blue blue blood schools, for five-star and four-star prospects in the state of Texas. He might be changing the recruiting game and for a long-term outlook that's very good for Texas Tech. But I think that Oregon is still more talented than Texas Tech almost at every position, especially quarterback, especially the skill positions, and the trenches as well. Not just trenches on the offensive line, but on the defensive line. Casey Rogers is going to be a senior. Same with Popo Omeve. Brandon Dorless will also be a senior. And same with Jordan Birch. So there's a, a lot of experience up front on that defensive line. Tons of experience. And also Jordan Birch, I know for a fact, very talented player. So I would expect Oregon to win that game. Same with the Portland State game, of course. Oregon will also get an automatic win hosting Hawaii September 16th. The Ducks open up conference play hosting Colorado September 23rd. They have their second road game on the road at Stanford September 30th before getting a bye week. Then they travel after their bye week and after, I imagine, a long week of preparation to Husky Stadium to take on Washington October 14th. Washington beat Oregon last year by three points. It was a battle of tons of offense, little to no defense. The final score of that game, in fact, was 37-34 to Washington. So revenge is going to be on Oregon's mind there. Washington State is where Oregon will be returning home next to face the Washington State Cougars October 21st. They'll then travel on the road to play Utah October 28th, host California November 4th, host USC in which might be a college game day spot November 11th, play at Arizona State November 18th, and have an opportunity for revenge against Oregon State November 24th. The USC, Utah, Washington, and Oregon State games, there's a lot hanging on the line in those matchups. I'd say the road games at Washington and Utah are going to be the hardest, and those would be the games that I would be more inclined to pick Oregon to lose as their road games. Washington has one of the best returning production metrics in the Pac-12. They have an underrated defense, whether it's a corner with Jabbar Muhammad coming in or an underrated front four, and their offense should be one of the best in the country. Utah is one of the few Pac-12 teams that can field a great defense, along with Oregon State. Rice-Eccles Stadium is a challenging place to to play at, and that's probably an understatement. And Kyle Whittingham is one of the best head coaches in the nation with one of the best staffs. But home games against USC and Oregon State. Outson Stadium is also very loud. 
Oregon's defense will improve this season. And against a team like USC, who has issues on defense and who I quite frankly don't think is mentally tough, and an Oregon State team where in theory and on paper Oregon will be the better team in most places, I'd be more inclined to pick those big games as wins for the Ducks. So my personal schedule prediction would be around that 10-2 and mark, maybe 9-3, and maybe 11-2, and but around 10-2. and It really helps that Oregon doesn't open the season playing against Georgia or Ohio State or Alabama or Michigan or these teams that have been consistently in the top five, four, or six over the past two, two years. Oregon's 54th in returning production, and they have the number nine overall recruiting class. So I mentioned the recruiting class earlier. This is specifically mentioning returning production as well in that exact number. So they're about above average in terms of FBS teams in regards to returning production. They return an elite running back room with running backs Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington. Bucky Irving transferred in from Minnesota after the 2021 season. Him and Kai Thomas carried Minnesota to nine wins after starter Muhammad Ibrahim went down against Ohio State with an Achilles tear. And Trayson Potts, the backup, also got injured. So that left room for Bucky Irving and Kai Thomas to do their thing. Kai Thomas transferred to Kansas where he didn't start. Bucky Irving started at Oregon where he had 156 carries last season for 1,058 yards. He had five rushing touchdowns and averaged 6.8 yards per carry. He also had 31 receptions for 299 yards, averaging 9.6 yards per reception and three receiving touchdowns. Noah Whittington had 139 carries last season for 779 yards. He had five rushing touchdowns and averaged 5.6 yards per carry. He also had 22 receptions for 169 yards and one receiving touchdown. So a very impressive group of running backs Oregon has. I expect them to both grow and mature and be even better this season. That typically happens when you return players and have a great staff and especially strength and conditioning, and a good CEO, which is what the college football head coach has become. Oregon did lose their offensive coordinator, though. Kenny Dillingham is off to Arizona State to be their head coach. He previously was at Florida State, then Dan Lanning hired him away to coach for Oregon, and now he is with the Arizona State Sun Devils. But Will Stein is coming in as the new offensive coordinator, Junior Adams is still with the team as co-offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach, where he's been since last season, and with Washington the year prior. And Washington's wide receivers, they're going to have one of the best wide receiver cores in the nation this season. Troy Franklin, who's been developed by Junior Adams for now going to be two years in a row, could be one of the nation's best wide receivers. Will Stein will be the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. And that's the same role that he held basically at UTSA in 2022. And before 2022, he was with UTSA for two years as their passing game coordinator and wide receivers coach. Let me talk to you about Frank Harris. Frank Harris is UTSA's quarterback. And he had a top 20 QBR last season. He's six foot, 205 pounds. He's going to be with the Roadrunners for, I think, his seventh season. He passed for 4,000 yards, 32 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. He had a 
160.6 passer rating, a 77.3 QBR. Dual threat guy as well. He had 600 rushing yards last year for nine rushing touchdowns. Completed nearly 70% of his passes. Will Stein is going to be a great offensive coordinator, and I expect him to help Bo Nix further develop as a quarterback, especially in the realm of passing. So I think that, look, plug and play with offensive coordinator. Kenny Dillingham's a great OC and he leaves, but Will Stein is an underrated pickup that not a lot of people are going to be talking about because Frank Harris is a phenomenal quarterback and he is probably a top 25, top 20 quarterback overall. And that's including the power five. And that's including a year where I expect quarterback play to be moderately strong. It's not going to be like the 2022 NFL draft where it's a very weak quarterback class. You got Drake May, Caleb Williams, Jalen Daniels, whoever starts at Ohio State, whether it's Kyle McCord or Devin Brown, Bo Nix, Michael Penix, J.J. McCarthy. Let's not forget about K.J. Jefferson. Whoever starts at Georgia, I think, will have a good year. And Frank Harris is, he's a guy and developed by Will Stein. So I think that Oregon's offense and Bo Nix, who's had 68 career touchdowns with a 137.8 passer rating, and that's including his career at Auburn, very impressive quarterback who had a breakout season last year. Sometimes flukes can happen, but I don't think with Will Stein, Bo Nix's breakout season is going to be a fluke and the offense might be better than it was last year. Oregon should reload on the offensive line with their development and incoming transfers. Johnny Cornelius was one of the best transfer portal prospects of the 2023 cycle, and he committed to Oregon. He had offers from Michigan. He had offers from, I don't exactly remember outside of Michigan because I'm a Michigan fan, but he had offers from a ton of Power 5 programs. And why not? Having a competent right tackle, especially left tackle, and Josh Connerly Jr. is returning. He was in that position last season. So having a returning left tackle is going to help. But great tackle play is important. It's very important. I'm a Big Ten guy, and hearkening back to the Big Ten, Ohio State has questions at tackle this season. And that could really hold them back if... Josh Simmons and Josh Fryer or whoever is starting opposite of Josh Simmons, whoever's starting at tackle for Ohio State, if they don't pan out, it could force Ryan Day and Brian Hartline to change what they want to do, especially since they are more of a pass-happy team anyway. Oregon, I don't think with Josh Connerly Jr. or a Johnny Cornelius will have that problem. They'll have one of the best offensive tackle units in the country. Overall, they'll have one of the best offensive lines in the country. This will immediately be a top 10 offensive line, if not potentially a top 6, top 5, top 4 offensive line. Up there with the likes of Georgia, Michigan, and Oregon State and Washington, by the way, have elite offensive lines as well. So the Pac-12 is known, it's always sort of been known like this, but especially now, offense across the board, not just skill positions, not just scheme, but even in the trenches, the Pac-12 is very deep on the offensive line, and Oregon being in that position really helps. It really helps them, especially when it comes to comparing them to a team like USC or UCLA, where they have great skill position players and a great quarterback and great offensive minds at head coach who are great at calling plays. 
Dan Lanning was a fantastic defensive coordinator and defensive mind, but he's obviously leading a team right now that has more of an offensive focus and identity. And all in all, Oregon has better trench play than USC and UCLA do, and I think that's a reason why Oregon will be better than both the Trojans and the UCLA Bruins because of their trench play. They returned five starters on offense, seven on defense, two on special teams. Returning production does matter more, and it's been proven to be more valuable, but also looking at starters as well. It's important to have them overlap. And obviously, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, offensive line, it's just, I think, I think it's just Josh Connerly and Jackson, yeah, Jackson Powers Johnson on the offensive line, Troy Franklin, Terrence Ferguson, Bo Nix, Bucky Irving, plenty of different players who started, and they're going to be returning on offense. Defensively, Losing an NFL cornerback always hurts, but there are five incoming transfers who, according to rlads.com, are going to be starting on that defense. And I'd say look out for Jordan Birch. South Carolina does not have the same supporting cast or the same coaching or the same development that Oregon does. They are an inferior team, inferior product, at least for now. Shane Beamer is changing the recruiting game there, and he's changing the culture and he pulled off back-to-back top 10 wins against Tennessee and Clemson. It's no disrespect to South Carolina. It's just saying that Oregon is one of the better teams in the country. South Carolina is just an average to above-average team, at least for now. And I like Oregon entering this year. I really do. I can see this team reaching the college football playoff. I can see this team reaching the national championship if everything goes right. They have Dan Lanning on staff, who won a national championship as a defensive coordinator, and really was the reason they won that national title. He adapted to what he saw from Alabama, and that allowed him and his defense to lock down Alabama for that second time, as opposed to the first time in the SEC championship game, where they allowed over 40 points. It's a big reason why Kirby Smart got his first national title, and why Georgia broke the record for, I think, NFL draftees in the first round or overall from a college. I expect Oregon to contend for the Pac-12 and win anywhere from 10 to 11 games. That's regular season and postseason included. So I'm thinking 10-3 and or 11-2 and is what's in store for Oregon, but I wouldn't be shocked if they went higher than this. I could see 13-2, and just like 2014. I could... As, as bold as this is, I could see 14 and one. I could also see 10 and three, maybe at worst, probably nine and four. I could see 12 and two. I could see a college football playoff appearance, a national championship appearance. You have the explosiveness at quarterback, the depth, the discipline, and the size at offensive line. I'd say the experience and also the explosiveness at defensive line with Jordan Birch, but also the interior having experience there. And at wide receiver, Troy Franklin, explosiveness as well. So Oregon's a very explosive team on offense. They're fast. They're not exactly the most physical or toughest team in the country. But when you look at their offensive line, they are far from weak. They're far from flimsy. Do they have a long way to go before they are Georgia or before they are Alabama or Ohio State? Absolutely. 
but those are the only three teams that consistently recruit at that highest level. And in order to get there without recruiting at that level, you got to have a generational coach or you have to have what Michigan has this year in their top five in returning production after having a 13-1 season and having tons of super seniors return or NFL players just decide to come back because they want to win a national title. It's rare to be in that top three without recruiting at the highest level and having the best of coaches at the same time year after year after year. And we'll see whether Oregon can get to that level, but they can reach the college football playoff. They nearly did it last year. Just a few more points added in those Washington and Oregon State games. And I tell you, they probably beat USC in that Pac-12 championship, and I think they beat USC this year. So Oregon, I'd say 10-3, and maybe 11-2, and but we'll see. Thank you for watching this video on Oregon football. I enjoy covering the Pac-12 and other conferences outside of the Big Ten, and I enjoy learning a lot about these teams and talking about them. I like the Oregon Ducks this season, although I will say Oregon State, Washington, Utah, USC, they play in a conference that has a lot of programs that can contend for the college football playoff and can contend for the Pac-12, realistically. So it's going to be a very tough stretch. It wouldn't surprise me if the Pac-12 completely cannibalizes itself this season, in which could be its final season as a true Power 5 conference. As a Big Ten fan, I hope Oregon and Washington and some other Pac-12 programs join the Big Ten, but we'll have to see. Thank you for watching. Please subscribe again and hit the notification bell, like the video, and comment your thoughts down below. Have a great day, guys.